Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. So this obviously is a Bible. Do you know what this part is called? The big thick part? The Old Testament. And then this little somewhat smaller part is called the New Testament, right? All of it talks about Jesus, but in a little different way. This big part talks about Jesus who has not yet come. It's talking about the promised Savior, the Christ, who was going to come. And then this part tells us that the Christ has come. His name is Jesus. So this part points forward to Jesus, and this part points backward to Jesus. Now, today's sermon is from the first book in this New Testament part, the book of Matthew. And sometimes when people talk about Matthew's gospel, they say this is written to the kind of people who knew this really well, okay? Matthew's gospel in particular was written to people who knew the Old Testament really, really well. And the whole point of Matthew's gospel is to show those people the guy we've been waiting for, he came. And something I noticed this week that I've never noticed before is a theme in Matthew's gospel. Matthew calls Jesus the son of David over and over and over again, and I think there's a really important reason why. Raise your hand if you've heard of King David. You've heard of King David, right? Who's the giant that King, that King David beat in battle? Who remembers his name? Goliath. Goliath. Did David have a chance against Goliath? Goliath was huge, nine feet tall. He had a big sword and a big spear. And David had a slingshot and a rock. Who do you think is going to win that battle? The guy with the sword and the shield or the guy with the rock? You'd think the guy with the sword would win, right? He's so much bigger and so much stronger. It doesn't seem to make sense. David seems like this underdog who had no chance. But he won. We know he won because God was with him. But if we forget that he won because God was with him, we might start to think that David was pretty awesome, the underdog. Today we're going to talk about how people were looking for an underdog king. They were looking for a king who would come and take down the big, mighty Roman government. But they were looking for the wrong kind of king. David was not an underdog, and neither was Jesus. And we'll talk about that today in our, in our sermon. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you are no underdog. You came to, to win the battle against sin, against Satan, and against death itself. Help us to see how strong of a king you are. Help us to trust in you to win all the battles. In your name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer king. Amen. In the middle of Matthew's gospel, almost the exact middle point at the very end of of Matthew chapter 13, we hear Jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And as he teaches about the kingdom of heaven, he says these words. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. In Greek, that phrase, teacher of the law, is one word. It means instructor. And here it's talking about someone who instructs in God's word, someone who is an expert in God's word. But not just any expert. Just being an expert in God's word is not enough. The next part says, who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven. So an expert, an instructor, who's been instructed, literally discipled in the kingdom of heaven. It's not good enough to just be an expert in God's word. You have to be an expert in God's word who's first been taught inside of the kingdom of heaven, discipled inside of the kingdom so that you understand what kind of kingdom it truly is and what your place inside the kingdom truly is. Then you have something to say, but only then. This is an important reminder for you as you look at me. Yeah, I've gone to school for a long time. All of our pastors have. We, we sat in classrooms in college. We sat in classrooms for three years at the seminary, had a full year paid internship. We're, we're fairly educated when we become pastors. And so you may look at me and, and see someone who's a, a quote-unquote expert in God's word. It means nothing if I'm not instructed, discipled inside the kingdom of heaven. If I'm not someone in the kingdom who sees Jesus as the king, if I haven't been discipled in the kingdom of heaven, I have nothing to say to you, no matter how much of an expert I am. But the one who is an expert who's also been discipled in the kingdom of heaven is like this guy who's got a big storeroom full of treasures who gets to go out, go into that storeroom and bring treasures out to show to people, old ones and new ones. I get to do that today. I get to bring out to show you old treasures, ones you've heard before and and, and maybe a new one too. I had never heard of this 
this son of David theme. I, I knew that D- Jesus was called the son of David in Matthew's gospel, but I'd never seen how big of a theme it is in Matthew's gospel from start to finish. And this is the finish. This is the last time it shows up during Holy Week. Jesus is called the son of David. And today I get to show you how cool that is. This text begins, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, in a a battle of experts. Jesus has just silenced the Sadducees, and that made the Pharisees very happy because the Sadducees and the Pharisees did not get along. The Sadducees were this group of Jewish experts who were convinced that there was no resurrection of the dead, that you live your life, God's laws make your life here better, and then you die and it's over. Nothing happens after death. Jesus took them to school, so to speak, and silenced them, humiliated them publicly. And the Pharisees thought that was pretty great, but now they wanted to come. And so what do they do? They take one of their experts, the most expert among the experts, and they send him to Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responds with this answer that we've looked at a lot here at Mount Olive, including just a few weeks ago when we looked at the the parable of the Good Samaritan, only it was reverse. Someone asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, how do you read the law? And he replied with this answer, and Jesus said, do this and you will live, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This is that common summary of the Ten Commandments that we find in the Old Testament and the New. Do these two things and you cannot break any of the Ten Commandments. Of course, as we often discuss here at Mount Olive, we can't. We can't do these two things. We can't do the Ten. We can't do the law. It's not possible for us. We We fail, and we fail all the time. And so what does this expert teacher, King Jesus, do? He takes the focus of the discussion. He goes in a totally different direction. They're asking him about the law. What do we need to do? And he says, let's talk about the Christ. And and before we review that, one more old treasure to review. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Remember? It's his title. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. Messiah, Christ, same thing. They mean anointed one. When you hear Christ, think king. The Christ was the promised savior, the promised anointed one who would be a king. And so Jesus asks them about the Christ. What do you think? Whose son is he? And all the experts are quick to raise their hand. Easy question. I I know it. I know this one. This is Old Testament 101. Son of David. Got it. Whose son is the Christ? The son of David. But Jesus knew that they did not understand what that meant. Because they were experts who had not been discipled in the kingdom of heaven. Because they were experts who had not been discipled in the kingdom of heaven, they didn't know what kind of kingdom it was, and therefore they were looking for the wrong kind of king. As we talked about in the children's devotion, they had a tendency to look at 
David like a hero, this great underdog, a shepherd boy who stood up to the big bully and knocked him down and cut off his head. A great victory, the underdog, the underdog king. They didn't like the idea of a teacher with 12 pupils. That wasn't intimidating enough. They wanted a Navy chief with 12 elite Navy SEALs who could come into Jerusalem and just the 13 of them knock off a Roman centurion and his 100 men. And then after showing such great elite power, they would rally to themselves more and more and one by one begin to knock down that giant called Rome so that Israel could be free and strong. Israel again. Like the kind of Israel when David was king. The kind of Israel that that knocked off its enemies one after the other and, and ruled. They didn't want a teacher with students. They didn't want a, a teacher with 12 disciples. They wanted a military man. They wanted a military king. Teachers are weak. Navy SEALs are strong. But of course, this was because they hadn't been pupiled, discipled in the kingdom of heaven. They didn't understand what kind of kingdom they were in. And so they were looking for the wrong kind of king. What kind of king are you looking for? There's a lot of uncertainty in this world. A lot. And when you realize that you are swimming in an ocean of uncertainty, wouldn't you like a little certainty? Just a little bit? To get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine? I don't know what to do. What do I do? Do I get it or not? Seems like about 50% say, yeah, let's get it, and about 50% say, eh, maybe not yet. Too much uncertainty. What's going on in the world right now? Do I have rights or do I not have rights? Who do I ask to see if I do have rights? I think I have rights. I'm pretty sure I have rights. Do I have rights? Who's fighting for my rights? Who's driving this ship? What's going on on a global scale? I thought the Cold War was over. Is it over? Is it over? Or is there still a battle going on behind the scenes? I'd like to know what's going on behind the scenes. Could someone please show me what's going on behind the scenes? What's really happening? Wouldn't you like to know? As we live in this sea of uncertainty, if someone came along who could all of a sudden give you certainty, wouldn't that sound kind of nice? Wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to know exactly what's what? Wouldn't you like to know exactly what's happening? If a human being came along who could give you that, would you like it? Maybe the better question, you know, I asked, well, what kind of king are you looking for? I'm not looking for any kind of king. Maybe the better question is, where are you looking for certainty? Because you are looking for certainty. You want it. Is it possible? Is it possible that maybe, maybe from time to time we've looked for certainty in the wrong places? You think? Yeah. 
Sadly, we often look for certainty in humans and in human things. And when we do that, we prove that we have not been discipled in the kingdom of heaven. We don't understand what kind of kingdom it is that Jesus is king of. The law of God is a brutal thing for us. It makes us certain of one thing and one thing alone, that we're going to hell. That's what the law does. You ask the question, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Where can I find some certainty? What do I got to do? And the law will make you certain of one thing. It will make you certain that you're definitely going to hell. That's what the law does to you, and that's what the law does to me. But God wants us to be certain about something else. And this is why Jesus takes the discussion away from the greatest commandment in the law and toward the Christ. Whose son is he? Jesus asks. You want to have some certainty? You need to understand whose son the Christ is. And they say, the son of David. And he says, well, how could it be then that David, in Psalm 110, inspired by the Spirit of God, says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how could he be his son? It's because the Christ would not just be an expert in the word of God, but the word of God in human flesh. God in human flesh, so that when he spoke, he would speak the very words of God. When Jesus speaks, he is the word of God. The same word of God that wrote down all the words from Genesis through Malachi that pointed people ahead to the Christ, that was Jesus pointing people to himself. And we're not just talking about someone who's been discipled in the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the king of heaven. Who would the Christ be? The word of God and the king. God in the flesh. Yes, a son of David, but also the son of God. Nobody's underdog. Just like David was nobody's underdog. I want to take you right to the source. These are two selections from 1 Samuel chapter 17. David was nobody's underdog, and here's the proof. Saul the king was a little uncertain about this shepherd boy going to fight, and he says to Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then, while standing face to face with the Philistine giant, This is what David says to the Philistine who mocks him. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The son of David 
was no underdog, just as David was no underdog. Why did David win? Because the Lord does not fight battles like Navy SEALs fight battles. He does not fight battles with swords and spears and shields. The Lord fights battles differently, and that's why David never had a chance to lose, because it was the Lord who was fighting for Israel. You think Jesus had any chance to lose? Do you think Jesus was an underdog when he went to do battle with sin? Not just on the cross, but every single moment of his life. From the moment he was conceived, he was born under law. Those two laws, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lived under those two laws every moment of his life. He did battle under those laws every single moment of his life and he never lost, undefeated. From conception to the cross, never once did he lose to sin. Never once. You think he was an underdog when he went to do battle with Satan? As he was tempted in the desert, as he was tempted every day of his life? You think he was an underdog? Ha! You think he was an underdog when he went to do battle with death? Not a chance. Not a chance. On the cross, Jesus completed his victory over sin. He defeated Satan once and for all with this death that appeared, appeared to be a victory for Satan. It was actually the, the death blow to Satan himself. And then three days later, as Jesus rises from the dead, he shows that he has ultimate authority over even death. A victory that'll be final on judgment day. Jesus is not the kind of king that the Sadducees and Pharisees were looking for. He's a better kind of king. The teacher king. And he has proven once and for all that he has done exactly what King David wrote about in Psalm 110. Take a listen to this brief section from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, that's talking about Christ's resurrection. He was the first one to defeat death. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And on the last day when Jesus raises all the dead, the final victory over death will be won. Never again will death touch anyone. Who is the Christ, the son of David? And how is it that Psalm 110 could be true? How is it that the Lord, the father, could say to the Lord, his son, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet? It's because the Savior, the Christ, is both son of David and son of God, the word and the king of heaven and earth. How about that for certainty? 
Your eternity is certain. Your king is certain. Your place in God's kingdom, certain. Not because of who you are, not because of what you do, but because of what the king of heaven and earth has done for you. Be certain of who your king is, the teacher king. Amen.